Okay. Good evening and welcome to episode 60 of the Coot Street Podcast. 32 years ago, John Clute, Peter Nichols, Brian Stableford launched the Science Fiction Encyclopedia for Granada Books. Yesterday, uh, it was announced that as part of the coming uh, Golan Science Fiction Gateway, uh, a third edition of the Science Fiction Encyclopedia will be released. To coincide with that, we're uh, Gary and I are going to wel- are happy to welcome John Clute to the podcast. John's in, in John's in Maine. Gary's in Chicago. Good morning, uh, John. Good morning. I'd like to make one thing clear: the new edition, of course, will be online rather mm. than in. And one other thing that the the primo and limo of the first edition of 1979 was, of course, Peter Nichols. Yeah. He thought it up, he contracted it, and was the general editor. And good morning, Gary. Um, good morning for the first time, I think, ever. It's morning now. We usually record these podcasts when it's your morning and my evening. Now it's morning by myself and, and morning for John in Maine. So, so I'm having coffee and, uh, and not wine. <laughs> well, yes. And, I mean, uh, as opposed to the typical thing where it's sort of scorching hot here and freezing cold there, I understand you're both enduring uh, hot summers while, in fact, we've been having thunderstorms and everything here, which makes for a change. It's certainly very, very hot here and exceedingly humid and about to break, we keep feeling, but it hasn't broken yet. So, so tell me, or t- tell us, John, I mean, how, how did the whole science fiction encyclopedia venture start? I mean, it's been going, it can't have been going solidly for 32 years, can it? Well, it's actually been going solidly with intermissions since 1975, when Peter signed the initial contract. With, believe it or not, a packager. Mm-hmm. That, was the, that was an era so long ago that most people who are alive today have never heard of a packager and never been burned by one. <laughs> um, he signed a contract with a packager uh, who was impressed by Peter's Emben point, his wit, and also the fact that he was the a founder director of the Science Fiction Foundation and an academic at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I can continue in depth if you like. <laughs> the, um, the, the evolution of the encyclopedia was slow, intermittent after the 1979 edition by the fact that we had packaged it. In other words, we didn't own the copyright. Yeah. And Peter duly got onto fairly bad terms with Hugh Elwes of Roxby Press because Hugh Elwes had the sense somehow or other that his ownership of the actual content was more or less the same as ownership of the means to generate revisions and new kinds of content, okay. which of course was not the case. And it wasn't until 1990, after Peter had gone to Australia, yeah. that I was able to arrange that Peter and I would share in the purchase of copyright from Hugh Elwes. And immediately after that, John Gerald of McDonald um, bought the um, edition, and we were and we plowed ahead. Subsequent to that, there was a CD-ROM edition, which we were paying good money for, but was totally disastrous for reasons we don't have an hour. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, and none of, none of our doing and none of, and didn't redound upon us because the firm Grolier was sufficiently stupid as to take our names and the title off their products, so nobody knew what they were trying yeah. to um, um, vend. And it took, a, it took a long while after that between um, about 2000, the year 2000, when I started proposing a use encyclopedia to Orbit until an initial contract at the end of 2005 with Orbit, which was dissolved for, with mutual um, gratitude in 2009, and the new contract, which is, I think, much better designed for the 21st century and for our needs than, than Orbit was, was able to think in terms of back in 2005. So that means it's what technically the version of the encyclopedia that will go live in September is the yeah. fourth edition of it. No, third. The CD-ROM is a, has revisions in it, but does okay. not constitute a rewriting sufficient to call it the third edition. No, no, it's a, this is the third edition. Now, there, are, there are forms of the second edition, but they're all just variations on the basic template. Sure. Now, along the way... Uh, sort of 
I guess in parallel to this at one point, you and John Grant sat down and did the Encyclopedia of Fantasy as well for, in yes. about 2005, was it? Something like that? No, it was probably Earlier, 1995. Wow. Uh, I had a very busy Encyclopedia decade. I was also doing science fiction, the Illustrated Encyclopedia, which I've always called a misnomer because it's actually a companion in the Illustrated Encyclopedia. That was Encyclopedia, which I actually sold nothing to do with the other books, but they all got mixed up in some people's minds. There's one kind of um, um, enterprise that was kind of um, interstitial, but also parasitic. It was not. They were entirely separate enterprises. To, to, to what extent does the new uh, SF Encyclopedia website that's coming out as part of the, of the SF Gateway incorporate all of no, those previous not, things? It's not part of the Gateway. We are, we are, we are linked to, associated, okay. housed by, but not part of. Um, we're, we're all, we all have to be extremely explicit about that for all sorts of reasons, including mm -hmm. the felt and genuine autonomy of our, of our enterprise in terms of the text, which must not be um, seen, nor does Malcolm Edwards, um, Orion, um, sure. the CEO, think it should be seen in any sense um, um, dependent upon any publisher in particular. Okay. So it's basically well, done in parallel. Yeah. Sorry? But in terms of the content... Uh, what Jonathan was starting to ask was um, the science fiction encyclopedia in its first two or three iterations was very clean, clearly confined to what we think of as science fiction rather than fantasy or horror. Yeah. And the encyclopedia yeah. fantasy covered a much broader range. And then, and then John, you've been doing uh, a lot of work on horror fiction yourself. So I guess the question that a lot of people are wondering is to what extent does the online version incorporate all of that science fiction, fantasy and horror? Uh, the short answer is that it is not going to incorporate my entire full voluminous sense of what I call stealing from Eastern European countries, languages, fantastica. It will be science fiction, but in 1975, 76, when Peter and I were talking a lot about science fiction, we really thought that what we could be working with when we were doing a science fiction encyclopedia was a, a, a relatively coherent, relatively describable level playing field with moderately secure boundaries. And that within that playing field, we could construct a network of themes and we could also, this was a dream which I did not realize at the time was astonishingly unrealistic, that we could incorporate um, as were non-prescriptively an entry for every author who had written a science fiction book or had one translated into English. Uh, this, of course, did not occur then. It did not occur in 1993, and it's not going to occur now. There, the, the, there are two things that explain that. One, the field, even as simply defined, was much, much huger than we thought. Um, even when we left out Lost Race, novels, which we should not have done, and future war novels, which we should not have done in the 1970s. But now, obviously, when we are approaching so many and such a constant um, chaos of transformation, science fiction itself can no longer be really described as a level playing field with clear boundaries and spectators. It is now, it is now very, very much more porous, and the entry structure and the and the, in particular, the structure of themes and the structure of that allows us, allows me to write entries and authors who might otherwise, in an earlier decade, not have been thought of as science fiction authors, allows me to do that because that is where we're going. The science fiction encyclopedia is, in a sense, two encyclopedias. One is a large compendium honoring the century of science fiction, the 20th century. And the other, which enfolds and interweaves with it and will eventually, I presume, become larger than it, is an attempt to maintain an alphabetical take on the chaos we're in. And that is a difficult task, but probably the most interesting thing I've ever done in my life in terms of encyclopedia writing. So the encyclopedia, in a sense, is never going to be done. It's going to be updated and revised continually. Yeah, um, we are required by our contract to submit to Galance, to give, to deliver to Galance on the 31st of August, a 
I guess, a template of the encyclopedia, uh, which will go up on the 30th of September. But between the 30th of August and 30th of September, there will be the opportunity for us to test run and to supply material for the first global monthly update. So we, we have until nearly the end of September to get a skeleton or beta version ready for launch on the 30th of September. But from that point on, there will be a global monthly update um, and it will be forever. Um, we don't see any point in conceiving that there is any point in stopping. The only way that an encyclopedia that has an online presence can be maintained and retain its usefulness is for it to be almost done up to date to the minute. And we have ways of dealing, I think, when we see the site design fully developed, there will be a, a window of flash news entries on people who just died sure. and that kind of thing that won't get incorporated into the body of the work until the end of the month. So well, it is, yes, an ongoing thing. Sorry, Karen. No, I was going to say one of the things that uh, that I know from, uh, from from many conversations, you had to draw a line with the first science fiction encyclopedia and with fantasy. And that you, as I recall, the first one did included only authors who'd published a book. Was that pretty much correct? That was not not an absolute criterion in the first edition when we thought there were many, 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 many fewer authors around. Um, it became right. a criterion in the second edition, and it's been abandoned for the third. Because you, have, you had space limitations, which you no longer have. Is there a threshold at which an author enters the book? I mean, um, for new writers... An author is guaranteed to be in the book um, with with a fuzziness around certain kinds of self-publishing and POD mm. um, if that author has published a book. An author is likely to be in the encyclopedia this time around if he or she has published stories but no books and those stories have made an impact. Okay. C can I ask... I'll give you a, Sorry, I'll yeah. give you a sense of the, of the sort of problem and opportunity. Mm. Uh, the first edition ran to about 730,000 words. Uh, the second edition ran to 1,311,000 words, with a few thousand words added in different mm. um, iterations of that edition. We're now just hitting 3 million words on this one, and as I say, uh, probably we'll hit 4 million before we have the first ostensibly complete version at the end of 2012. It's a much, much huger project than it ever has been in the past. I'm interested to ask, after, well... What far more than thirty-two years? What what draws you to the task? I mean, this is a, a, a you know a, a life-encompassing task you've undertaken. Yeah, well, I think of myself as I think I've passed on to Gary more than once because I repeat the very very few jokes I know incessantly. Um, it's a little bit like Roger Rabbit and who um, framed Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. You know, the Doctor Death or whatever his name is goes around going dump da 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 dump dump. And then Roger Rabbit says, dump, dump. I feel like Roger Rabbit. I feel like it's built into my whole tune being that, um, that I do this. And if I analyze myself at great, intense, fascinating length, I would suggest that the combination of a obsessive but organized book collecting mentality plus what one might call kindly a tendency towards lateral or adventurous thinking in reviews and essays meet beautifully in the middle in writing an encyclopedia over which one has editorial control. Which reminds me because the um, encyclopedia of fantasy is much more notable for its oh inventive lexicon of critical terminology than the person saying. And I, I assume that those critical terms such water margin and polder and mean scatter, those are being carried over into the new encyclopedia? There's a kind of hovering over a number of those terms that we technically represent by capitalizing the word polder and then say see Encyclopedia of Fantasy, which is available within the body of the um, online SFE as a separate um, as a separate, um, as it were, I don't know what you call it, page site to be accessed. You access the fantasy encyclopedia, then you get a then you get a headword list, and then you hit hit the word you want, and you have a, have the entry completely unchanged from 1997. So we're we're sort of like 
hovering over what we do with that. And as time passes, my suspicion is that quite a few of those entries will inevitably become actual entries in the SFE. Some of them already have. Does this sort of point you towards the revision of the uh, Encyclopedia of Fantasy as well in a similar manner, or is that just too all-encompassing a task given what fantasy itself has become in the intervening nearly 15 years? I would say both, frankly. Certainly, I was surprised and pleased when Malcolm Edwards at um, ReaderCon um, spoke casually about the fantasy encyclopedia as a possible project. It's certainly a possible project, but you're absolutely right. I don't I don't think that the fantasy encyclopedia, if we were able, and I wouldn't be able to do it anything like alone, nor would John Grant um, be able to do it um, in partnership with me without a huge amount of help. Yeah. Um, I think the fantasy encyclopedia would have to go through a sea change and become um, an encyclopedia of everything within Fantastica, uh, which encompasses SF but is not SF, mm-hmm. which means horror, which means horror in SF, which means um, terror, the term I prefer myself to use for 21st century um, ostensible horror texts of real interest in the, as it were, the discovery and uncovering of our condition on the planet. All of these things would be theoretically part of this encompassing encyclopedia, but as you see, it is the project of a lifetime, and I don't have a lifetime left, <laughs> so I don't know what well, well, I guess that's a question as well. I mean, obviously, uh, as you say, it started off in 1975 with Peter Nichols and yourself and, and with Brian Stableford. It oh, must, be, <laughs> it must be an enormous uh, staff who are working on this now. An enormous staff, did you say? Yes, yes. Ah. Ah. Uh, I, I love the reification of people who write me emails into staff. That's good. That's good. Keep it there and then... Everybody believes it. Maybe they'll act like staff. I've had the same reaction. Uh, yeah, we have. <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry. Well, oh, I've, I've oh. certainly been. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I was just saying. I've certainly been in your flat in, in, in London, and I've watched you work on it, and I've worked on it with you, and I've watched Graham Slight and some of her friends. But I'm sure people have the same reaction that they do to, uh, to Locus. So when I hear from readers who assume that Locus is a vast office complex somewhere in California with scurrying yeah. clerics, clericals wandering around. And I, I imagine people I assume the encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Gary? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I would assume that, yeah, many people uh, assume that the uh, encyclopedia is something like the Encyclopedia Britannica with hundreds of editors working day in and day out, which is an amazing an accomplishment on your part to, to, to convey the sense that that is what happened. <clears throat> it is not what happened. We have what you might call a hemi-demi-semi-post-William-Morris cottage industry kind of life um, in which um, there are two central editors, myself and David Langford, in which there are a, a slew of central contributing editors, Mike Ashley, Neil Tringham, Paul Barnett, and um, Nick Lowe at the moment, with with some others like Jonathan Clements, who does Japanese and Chinese work um, quite astonishingly, voluminously and well, and other people who talk to us and to whom we talk. Um, Peter Nichols is editor emeritus in Australia, and Claire Coney, his wife, is our unpaid proofreader. The enterprise, Graham Slight, whom I didn't mention yet, but it is very important, has been um, absolutely essential to the technical um, execution and writing of the contract so that it made sense in terms of online environments, in terms of site design, in terms of our needs. I couldn't have done it myself at all, and I don't think David Langford could have either, although he was a lot closer to being able to be competent enough to do that sort of thing. So there is a a constant flow, as you noted, Gary, people come in and out of the flat. I've had Mike Ashley over for lunch several times, and we've discussed things, and last night he delivered the letter A of magazines to me. (laughs) 
the letter A of magazines, having analog and amazing and astounding and argosy, is probably the largest letter. And the work is exemplary and and massively more comprehensive than the last edition. But that's because we know each other. That's because mm -hmm. we work together. It's not because we've hired each other. Except I pay him a bit. Well, not very much. Do you see this encyclopedia morphing into, in, a, in an odd way, a mirror reflection of our field now? Uh, and the reason I say that is because when I look back at the 1979 encyclopedia, which I, I remember picking up when I was a young, much younger man than I am now, uh, it was much as later, say, Garda Dozois' Big Year's Bests were, a gateway to a broader vision of the field than you would have, particularly if you were living where I was at the time in, in Perth and West Australia, where I am now. Um, but it seems like this beast, this four million word beast that you're looking at, or talking about, first of all, is far more encompassing. And also you can have the kind of reflection that you might have cut out of a, of a printed document. I mean, and, and the, the kind of thing I th I'm thinking of is there's not the same need to cut back a long entry on analog to make it balance in length and all that kind of stuff because length itself is no longer a criteria. Absolutely. We were acutely aware of this from the get-go, that the for the fantasy encyclopedia and the science fiction encyclopedia, both. Um, the, the initial task that we had was pre-allocating more or less general sets of length criteria for different levels of entries. There were A, B, C entries and, and very small entries for authors, for instance. That, that has gone by the board. We don't do that. Uh, we don't stop except mm. by the fact that we're all mature men and women. There are women involved in this activity. Yeah. Um, we we stop when we when we when we need to. Yeah. Which makes entries more relaxed in the way they read, although based obviously on the same kind of um, rigid um, um, Virgo um, adherence to fact. <laughs> these entries are now much, much more likely to correspond in some intuitive way to the needs of that author to be expressed, talked about. I just revised, for instance, yesterday, the entry on James Tiftree Jr. Uh, we do not do much bio in the encyclopedia. It was always a, mm. a premise. Biographical stuff was a, was a, you know, a can of worms to get into, and we didn't need to do it. There are lots of other sources where you can find biographical information. We have a minimum of that um, place, uh, place and exact date of birth and death, and a few other things. But with James Sidfield Jr., I made the unilateral decision, decision yesterday mm -hmm. that um, her life was intrinsic with her work, yeah. and that it was so deeply fascinating and relevant and exemplary that I wasn't going to go around applying um, cookie-cutter criteria sure. and not mention the fact that she was a painter and this and that and in 40 years earlier and that she was taken to Africa by her appalling mother on a safari who wrote a book called Alice in Jungle and about this six-year-old child stamping her for life with the first of many masks that she wore for the rest of her life. Um, no, I, wasn't going to, I wasn't going to leave that out. So it's a radically different entry in terms of its take on a particular author than I would have allowed myself um, 17, 18 years ago. Is that an indicator of future direction, do you think? Yeah, it is an indicator. Uh, I think the problem is, is that only if you are deeply responsible and frightened, easily frightened, like myself, um, um, can you really be allowed to have a completely free hand. Yeah. Um, it's not possible for... Um, somebody to submit an entry on a favorite author that runs seven or eight hundred words and the author is worth 50 or 80 because there was one bad book published in 192. Um, that sort of thing obviously cannot be allowed. I, I guess the, the 20, yeah, I was going to say, I, I no. guess the, the, the 21st century question that occurs to me, or statement that occurs to me, is the one thing this is really is not is Wikipedia, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's the exact opposite of it. Yeah, Wikipedia is centrifugal. The encyclopedia of science fiction is centripetal. A term, a set of terms which can be unpacked at great length. But the first obvious thing is that the Wikipedia um, does not have a buck that stops in any particular place. Mm. Because entries can be modified basically by anyone 
within various criteria. It is also not the Wikipedia in that um, we emphasize original content, whereas Wikipedia necessarily um, tries to eliminate any kind of original content, that is to say, any content that is not sourced. Mm. Much of the encyclopedia is sourced, but much of it, if I say something I believe about James Tipper Jr., I am not going to go look for a source to authenticate what I said. I'm the one who said it, because the book's stops <laughs> at me. I'm one of the two um, writers that is ultimately responsible for every word in the book. Yeah. This strikes me as being... So it's very, it is, is very different than Wikipedia. Okay. And the Wikipedia link structure is radically different than ours. The Wikipedia link structure moves from a focused entry in a focused or unfocused field outwards to the rest of the world. Um, many of the um, links in a Wikipedia entry have nothing to do in any direct way with either the individual or topic being, um, being uh, that, that you're looking at or with the general area into which that topic or person fits. They go, they go if, you, if you have 19, Arthur C. Clarke born in 1917, you hit 1917, you don't get a, a bit about Taunton Devon where he grew up. You get World War I. Um, the encyclopedia, the link structure, the links are now in well in excess of 100,000. Um, is centripetal. Each link feeds into the encyclopedia. Each link is argued. David Langford argues a link before he allows it in. Yeah. Unless it's very, very obvious in like the near future. Now, if and, I can, yeah. Sorry, and these links, um, just to finish this, yeah, sure, um, yes. um, are arranged so that, which is very difficult to do with a fixed, limited system, um, it is they are arranged so that no no entry is more than six links away from any other entry in the book. Yeah. Otherwise, the whole book is an organon internally constructed and we hope strumming with event and thought and connection and fun. The encyclopedia strikes me from the beginning has distinguished itself not just from Wikipedia, which as you say has essentially either no point of view or an infinite point of view. Uh, from the first edition to the second edition, it seems to me that the uh, point of view of, the critical point of view of the encyclopedia became much more clear. In other words, it has a coherent point of view. Uh, I think to some extent the encyclopedia fantasy uh, had a more theoretical point of view than either of the first two editions of the encyclopedia. Oh, without, without a doubt. Fantasy hardly existed as a describable, um, alphabetizable genre when, when we started, I think. Um, that's why so many terms were made up to try to, um, as it were, to sop up, sop up the flood. Yeah, the critical literature of fantasy was never as extensive uh, as, as it had been in science fiction. So there were, uh, for example, the first edition, uh, no, the second edition of the science fiction encyclopedia actually had entries on on, on critics, on critical theories, on, I, on there's an entry on critical and theoretical terms about SF. Uh, mm -hmm. By the time of the fantasy encyclopedia, there was relatively little scholarship on fantasy you could draw on. So, which I find well, you elaborated on some of the two or three of the central entries, which um, laid down possible lines around which um, thoughts could adhere, if you remember rightly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which means that it's a critical work as well as an encyclopedia work. It's not, it's not Wikipedia on the one hand, but it's not Britannica on the other. No. Um, there are, although it was easy to be fooled if you just looked at individual entries because it's properly alphabetical and the, the rigorous adherence to format and to, and to as much accurately as humanly possible was visibly visibly operating with the fantasy encyclopedia. But if you got into what um, a couple of people called my secret book, because most of it was written by me, um, Paul Barnett thought I should, you know, <clears throat> pick up my socks and get down to finishing the damn book rather than doing all this all this other stuff. And he was probably right in, in, in one way, because the fantasy encyclopedia is very skimpy on the ground in many ways. It does not cover even the field that we could define um, as fully as it should have. We ran out of time, money, and Orbit ran out of patience because we were nearly twice as long as contract length. But there is that secret um, set of entries in the Encyclopedia of Fantasy, most of which link very closely to one another so you can 
you can go back and forth, um, which do do create um, a series of, of terms which were original, like Polder, like Wainscot, like Installation Fantasy, um, and a series of of entries which described what I thought was a good way of of pointing to the way fantasy narratives tended to move at their most interesting. Entries like wrongness and thinning mm. and recognition are, are, are thought of as sequential entries. And they make an argument. But you're not going to find that argument just by looking up um, um, Charles de Lind. Mm. Um, no, but there's also the book you did a few years ago of, uh, for Pager and Smith called uh, The Darkening Garden, which in effect was nothing but the terms, uh, with no author entries at all. Including some of the fantasy encyclopedia and some new terms for that uh, glossary. Uh, I, I want. To, I'm planning for World Fantasy Con in Toronto next year in November, which to advertise Gary, which you haven't yet because you're modest. <laughs> um, you, Gary, are the toastmaster. I'm a guest of honor, and Liz Hand is the other guest of honor. There's another guest of honor. Today, guest of honor. Name I don't remember because I don't know him or her. And I will, I, will, I will bone up on this real fast. There are too many people in the world. Um, I forget what I was talking about. Um, what was I talking about, Gary? We were talking about the uh, Darkening Garden. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm expecting to put out a second um, edition of the Darkening Garden for World Fantasy Con with five or ten additional um, entries, which are actually short essays, which will make it a more sustained argument. But it is an argument. It's a... It's the most sustained thing I've ever done, rather than a set of entries. It's an argument about the nature of horror, which um, I didn't probably make too many friends within the horror um, 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 senac, because I indicated that affect horror didn't really answer my desires to describe something interesting, which got rid of 80% of all horror novels so described. The... The arguments in the book are, I think, are, are I think interesting, but I've not begun seriously to attempt to integrate them into the encyclopedia science fiction. And that is, although some of the terms, um, vastation, serpent's egg, um, and terror uh, itself, as a as something which is has a science fictional element of the 21st century, those those entries will be carried over in some form or other when I get my head around to it. That must be an Probably not the default edition. They won't, they won't be perceived as, as, being, as being missing until we put them in, and then they will be perceived as absolutely essential. <laughs> so a critical point of view, which I think was fascinating about uh, all the editions, is that, and I said this, as you know, in, in, in my review of the second edition, that, or, that, that, that this is... Uh, very much a, a work of critical theory and criticism, uh, both in terms of these theoretical terms, as you say, some of which will be in the encyclopedia, but also in terms of dealing with individual authors and their careers. I mean, in the first place, you obviously have difficulty with uh, a major author like Fritz Leiber, who wrote uh, you know vast amounts of science fiction and fantasy and horror, uh, and and you can't you can't exclude one segment of his work uh, because it doesn't fit some definition of science fiction. So you're covering each author uh, with some comprehensiveness. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that's fair enough. There's obviously a bias to Fritz Leiber to, to, as it were, spend less time on material which can't really be argued as having a science fiction uh, sensorium or, or base or argument to it. Um, but the checklist, which is one of the central and very difficult things to do for, with authors, especially old dead authors who wrote a hundred books and then had um, various presses reissue them in various forms subsequently. Um, the checklists are are relatively comprehensive. My checklist on library, unless I'm mistaken, and if I'm mistaken, I'll correct it, um, is is comprehensive as regards his works, fantasy, whatever. They're all listed, including and mainstream. Big pardon. Um, I don't know. Really but I would somebody who is an important enough author, like Liber or Asimov, um, I would list the mainstream novels as well. 
Okay. So the checklist is not a checklist that is rigorously restricted to that which we are at that moment in time defining as existing within the parameters of a field which is beginning to shift daily. The checklists are designed to give a fairly compendious rendering of important writers. And I indicate if a checklist is selected. A selected checklist may restrict itself essentially to science fiction and leave off, say, Fergus Hume's 150 detective novels. Ah. And reasonably enough so. I was going to say, I was ca- earlier on when you were talking about the structure of the encyclopedia, I was casting yeah. my, uh, my mind back to the first time I met you, which was in a hotel room with Charles Brown, where we talked about what were then the plans to put the encyclopedia online. And yeah. at that stage, you were sort of saying, one of the intended distinctions for this edition of the encyclopedia, should it have eventuate as it now is, is that you would be able to access all of the content online free, but yep. if you wanted to access this linking structure you're talking about that gives it its sinew, if you like, um, and its structure, that was something that was you know, subscribers would get access to sort of thing. Is that still the model that you're going with? Um, in a modified form, the, the model is, in my heart, pretty similar to that, although there is no intention of charging for the link structure for at least two years. But okay. to go back to the beginning, yeah, the, the encyclopedia itself Anything that you, anything as it were, um, isometric, um, isomorphous with the 1993 edition, will be free in this edition. Yeah. In other words, basically the entire text, yeah. and the affiliations that um, we hope to generate some honest income from, from individual titles and the checklist to Amazon.com, etc. Um, that will obviously be free. We'll also be cutting up our nose to spite our faces to charge people to, um, to, to as it were, click on a book through our site. Um, so basically, the, the text is, is going to be always free. I don't have my mind made up, and I don't think I have it coherently enough in my head to, as it were, guarantee that I can persuade others involved. But my sense is, is that some combination of of subscription, very mm-hmm. very low, maybe fifteen bucks a year, um, for the inner link structure, excluding perhaps the links to authors, but definitely including all the thematic links, um, might might be um, paydored, paywalled, and or would be done done through a subscription structure, rather like the New York Times, so it's not just a wall; it's a it's a series of enticements. Um, for a much smaller um, outlay on, a, on the user's part, or maybe um, the whole of, this, of the encyclopedia would be, um, or both, and or available through um, the purchase or rental or whatever happens with apps. So an app, an app would ob- obtain for you the entire encyclopedia. Um, my problem with that is, a, if an app is a one-off sale, I don't know how. I don't know how the um, how apps work. I don't use apps. I don't. I don't have any. I don't have the kind yeah. of telephone that will take an app. So I don't know whether they are yearly rentals or outright sales, or whether they vary. Mm. Can anybody tell me? Oh, well, normally with something like a, a an app, uh, yeah. You, yeah. If you bought, say, an S, you, you'd buy a, an SF encyclopedia app as a one-off thing and run it on yeah. your 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 mobile device. Now. Sometimes it's used as part of a subscription model. I mean, you were saying yeah. that in, a, in effect, what you're doing, if I understand it, is every month you update, you do a you do a general update of the encyclopedia. Yeah. So in effect, yeah. there's a new in, uh, there's a new edition of the encyclopedia every month. I see. So the the app itself could be tied to a an additional fee of fifty pence a month sure. or whatever. Yeah. Or, for the, for for, re, for retaining access, that might be a bit difficult because all all the app users would have to go to is, is go to Google and Google any entry and the updated version would be there. But something like that, which is way beyond me technically yeah. to really discuss any yeah, competence, yeah. needs to be down the line because although um, um, Galantz or Ryan is being very generous, mm. um, it's not a sufficiently um, generous um, contract at the moment to support a whole team of people, no. much less than myself. Um, I'm getting a lot of pro bono and quasi pro bono work from people who um, like the book because they've they've used it for thirty odd years, mm. and 
and I'm what I'm indicating to folk is that as our income structure begins to generate more income, um, we are going to be generating more payments to people who contribute. Sure. At the moment, it's 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 a vast vast enterprise which is radically underfunded, even given the obvious consideration that we are not the Encyclopedia Britannica with a whole office building full of people doing a half a day work every week. Yeah. We are all we are all individual freelancers. There's nobody who is sure. hired to do anything on the encyclopedia. It's all it's all commission or part of an or, or part of a contract. Yeah. I have to say as as a reader who's had his view of the science fiction field partially shaped since he turned fifteen by the various encyclopedias that now feed into this 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 mm -hmm. project, I think an iterative fee is an entirely reasonable thing, and I can't imagine anyone objecting to paying to have convenient access. And that's really what your app kind of model gives you. It's convenient. Yeah, to the to the ends, which, yeah. which 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 I which we can do contractually. We are not going to be allowed to, nor do I want. I had I had to fight them, the previous publisher, tooth and nail because they thought it was a terrifyingly stupid idea to give free access to text. Yeah, um, but we we won that battle, and Orion thinks they made up the free access to text. That's fine, you know. They're 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 bright people. They they're thinking what we're thinking. And that's great. Um, but the um, but the the innards uh, where the where the actual software can generate all sorts of manipulations, graphical and um, statistical of the data. That that I think yeah, I think I think that it might be possible to persuade people who inhabit this particular. Aquarium we live in, where every, where information is absolutely free and unending, and somehow God feeds us little bits of fish food every morning. Um, I think even in that environment, we should be able to say, well, if you want, you want to get inside our innards, um, I'll just pay the buck, mm. whatever. That was one of the questions that was uh, almost touchingly brought up in a number of blog posts and comments from the. When the first rumors began a few weeks ago that this was going to be online and be free before the official announcement, I remember reading a blog post feeling, uh, saying, saying essentially, how can you possibly do this for free? And almost being skeptical about it because this is such a valuable resource and it has been, uh, you know, I think for most of us who work in the field, even in the days, or maybe especially in the days of, of Wikipedia, you need an authoritative source. Mm. The blog post I was seeing was, uh, how can how, how can you possibly make a living uh, giving away something for free, which has been essentially your life's work? And I think it pretty much answered that already. Um, I think we I, th I think I think it's been answered by the by the by the by the by the three part um, structure of um of as it were return, which is which as I indicated, um, it's not private, and so um, the Lances pays us a license, an, an annual license for having the intimate connection with us that allows um, all of our referrals to books that um, they are selling to go directly to them, yeah, okay. which they, they consider a bad, but also just in terms of synergy. We're worth a license to them, which is not of an advance in royalty, but an actual fee. And then, of course, the affiliation structure in which people who are entering us for free and enjoying what they get and making use of what we get, um, it is not what you might call an unheard of um, reciprocity to suggest that they, if they want to buy a book, they access the book through us because we'll get a little bit of a, little bit yeah. of a payback without their paying a penny. And of course, the, 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 the final thing we talked about, like the, the some form of subscription or apps um, um, renewal structure for the innards in due course, but that won't be for a couple of years. Sure. I bet I was about to say it's the same thing you are, which is this might be an opportunity to broaden what we're talking about a little bit out to exactly what the Gateway Project is. That's what I was going to ask. The, uh, the announcement has gone up. What Golans describes as the world's largest science fiction digital library, which I gather is in some ways uh, a follow-up to their uh, uh, science fiction masterworks series they've been doing for a long time. Uh, yeah. The press release says they'll have 3,000 titles available. These are these are ebook formats, I gather. 3,000 titles available by the end of 2012, with 5,000 and more by 2014. And I guess that's going to just increase continually over the years. Um, 
but I know that GoLocks has been uh, essentially obtaining backlists of lots of major writers uh, to make their work permanently available in ebook editions. Is that a fair description? That's. I think that's 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 fair. I think uh, Malcolm Edwards in particular, and Darren Nash, and the digital publisher of um, Galantz, have been focusing on classic, as I said earlier, on classic SF writers, and normally, though not necessarily, writers whose books have appeared in one way or another through Glance in the past. Um, uh -huh. the, the figures, of course, are speculative. It's, it's a changing world, and at the moment, the digital library is the, is the heart of the Gateway's enterprise. Um, they, I believe they have something like a thousand titles now and daily growing. Um, this is this is this is all to the good, but I think that um, Malcolm and Darren and the whole crew of people at Orion are very very open to ways to make it more interesting, more useful, more bigger draw of a site. I I think I think it's I think it's an evolution. I I don't think they they've locked everything in stone except. The desire to sell their digital library. Imagine it'll, it'll grow in every possible way, and I don't. I'm not directly involved in that, and I, and I don't have the time mm. or the energy or the expertise to be directly involved in that. And I don't think it'd be appropriate in any case. So I can't say anything more because I don't actually know anymore. Well, no. And the last thing, the last thing we want to do is give the impression that the SFU yeah, is sure. affiliated with yeah. that set of writers that go on to dealing with. I'm sorry. The last impression you want to give is what so, you were. So, I think the impression we do not want to give is the sense that there is some affiliation between the specific authors involved in the Golan's project and, and entries in the encyclopedia. Yeah. They're two separate projects. The, affiliate, the affiliation route, the route that affiliations go, is as we're below the surface, and it's entirely, if exposed, above board that the affiliations from, say, Greg Benford go directly to Glance, sure. which is where all his e-books are held. Do, do you feel, as I do, that the, one of the great values of what they're doing with this is digitizing these texts so that they're accessible to uh, modern readers in a way that they haven't been for quite some time? I mean, I look down at the list of writers, and I would suggest to you that it's probably fair to say that you know, Barry Bailey's work is not widely available at the moment. Uh, and, and so digitizing it and offering it to the world at large for sale, but nonetheless uh, available, is an enormous gift to the field, really. I, I, I do believe this is the case. I, I think even with a well-known author who's in print, like, say, um, Bob Silverberg. Mm. He, um, last year at Worldcon, where I think, Jonathan, you and I met briefly yes. in, yep. in the appalling, modernist, utopian... <laughs> Uh -huh. philosophy yes. that Melbourne had created as a convention center to make people feel like ants about to be squashed by God. <laughs> I think we did meet there. We did indeed. Um, I spent some time with um, Bob Silverberg because both of us like to eat breakfast as soon as the restaurant opens in the morning. And and said um, that, he, that he was, it's like a no-brainer for him. He could he got rid of 83, 84 novels, and etc. in one go. And a lot of those wouldn't be in print today, obviously. No, no. This is a way for him to become fully available, or as fully as he wishes to be available, in 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 um, some kind of form in 2011, 2012, which is past what I think he thought his sell date would be for some of the earlier books, which is unfair. A lot of them are, re are really fine books, yes. and they're all there now. Well, well certainly I mean, what Bob said to me at that convention where we touched on this subject was that Golans had effectively bought to offer digitally everything from the very first thing he'd written to the most recent essay he'd just finished. So there's the, um, enti the entirety of his body of work, really. That, that may be the case. Um, all he said to me was 84 books, which seemed to be a good start. Um, <laughs> with him it is, yeah. Well, it is, with him it is, yeah. They bought rights to every single thing. That's 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 um, all all the better and all, and all more demonstrates the... Um, as were the thrust of Malcolm's imagination. Sure. Well, well actually, that, what I was going to say as well is I, I had brief contact with Malcolm Edwards, who is the driving force, the, bri the brain and the heart behind the whole uh, Gateway project. Oh, and yeah, that was an associate editor of the first edition. Yeah. Or an assistant editor. He wrote quite a bit of stuff then. Uh, 
The, the metaphor that he used for this was being able to go into one of those wonderful old used bookstores that would have you know copies of an entire bibliography of a writer on the shelf, and it would be somebody who you wouldn't normally find in a store on the high street. And that was what it was all about, was getting that depth of con of work out there and helping keep it alive. And I guess that's what also makes it a great parallel to loop back with the encyclopedia, which is giving such a, a depth of view of the of the field you know a kind of uniformitarian view too i never treat a book which is almost totally unobtainable as any less than a, less of a book to discuss mm. than a book which is very very popular in terms of numbers of paper copies available and this was always um inherent in the argument i made to myself in 1976 or so that by insisting, as Donald Tuck did before us, um, without making as much of a noise about it, because he was, I gather, a fairly quiet, solitary person, by insisting that a science, uh, um, an author of a book which was science fiction was an author who would be in the encyclopedia, was actually pretty revolutionary. Yeah. What it was doing was, in, at one level, not making any distinction between science fiction authors and other authors. Mm. Which was which was very quiet, and I knew it was I was doing it quietly. But I thought that, um, as we were following on from Donald Tuck, who had a lot of writers in his um, encyclopedia, which is actually an annotated glossary of great depth and use, um, that Donald Tuck was actually um, doing the same sort of thing. As as I think um, E. F. Blyler was in his checklist as well. But his checklist was everything that could remotely be deemed of relevance to um, the world of the fantastic or fantastic literature. So it wasn't as thrusty an argument as, as Tuck, who, was, who focused on SF, or as us, who were explicitly an SF encyclopedia. That broad church um, um, erosion of the, of, the, of the barriers, the, the differentials, the contours between different categories of books which could be described under our broad church remit as science fiction was, I think, slowly a very good thing to have instituted. And I'm doing exactly the same now. But now the reward comes in. I can I can find a book that have three copies of available, maybe one in Melbourne, one in um, mm. in um, Tasmania, and one in San Francisco, and I can re reference it. And quite likely Gutenberg will have it. Yeah, which means uh -huh. that means that um, the encyclopedia is now not only representing the, the rhetoric of a uniformitarian field from which interesting texts can be looked at and, and argued about, but is actually a conduit towards the realization of that. One of the things that fascinates me about that kind of project, and you mentioned Blyler, is, is how much uh, this has been a course correction in terms of academic and, and scholarly apparatus because uh, by and large we're dealing with authors who historically have not been in mainstream encyclopedias you would not find entries on almost any science fiction writer in, in any publicly published anthology like Britannica or the World Book and so forth and so on and it's always mm -hmm. struck me that science fiction scholarship emerged out of a tradition of just astonishing passion for these things I cannot imagine how in 1948 Blyler compiled that checklist because he had to just no. talk to people. It is, it is incredible to think about, isn't it? And also, also Tuck. I was looking at Tuck, the three volumes of Tuck, um, a month or so ago, after, just after he died. Um, mm -hmm. Well, however many months ago, Jonathan, you may remember exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and was astounded at the, the solitary insistence that man had on getting data down into... What was initially, I have, I bought recently, a year or so ago, I bought the second edition of it. I don't have the first. I have no idea what the first edition is like. The second edition is two volumes um, in blank paperback, quarto size. Um, and basically, it is, I guess, photographed typescript. He had mimeographed it, yeah. in essence. Um, the third edition, which is the one we're most familiar with from Advent in Chicago, um, is normally typeset, but he came straight out of some outsider heaven, and while he was in it, he 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 accomplished this astonishingly assiduous 
um, assembly of material. And every once in a while, he actually makes a comment, too, and they pile up. There are hundreds of comments in the three volumes. Yeah. So I rewrote my entry on him to make sure that it was very clear that um, one of our primary um, inspirations and structuring sources was not only Blyler, whom everybody knows about, and Reginald, who everybody knows about, but also Tuck. Yeah, I have to say it's very hard to picture how a man living in Tasmania in the the, you know, the 60s and 70s could could have accessed all this material. It's a staggering achievement, um, and one which sadly isn't terribly well appreciated here at home. Really, but, you know, he's not exactly uh, a well-known I, name. I'm I I've been to Australia twice, gentlemen, as you may know, because yeah. I came last year when we met, and I don't think we met in 2006 when I was in Australia, I don't think there were any no. science fiction events going on, but I've got a very bad memory for um, people, places, and times at the same time. I can remember the person and the place and the, and the um, time, but I can't remember them all together. Um, I never heard a word spoken about Tuck. Yeah, and no. I thought that it was a rather a shame. Of course, my specialty is, of course modifying and expanding upon Tuck. So obviously I wanted to hear words about this strange elderly man who was still alive, but nobody had seen him for 35 years or something. Yeah. I know one or two people who, who knew him, but that's yep. as close as it gets and sort of would occasionally make passing comments. And I would imagine people like uh, Damien Broderick would have had contact with him and would have sure. you know, stories to tell of him. Um, I, think he, I think he probably felt trumped by um, our multiple author, um, Heavily financed, relatively speaking, heavily financed mm. enterprise seventies. I, I think he maybe had thought there was no point in one man uh, sitting alone trying to um, to keep up, and he was probably correct. He was probably correct to stop it. I think these it stops. I think something like nineteen sixty eight. Yes, his cutoff point. He was probably correct to do that, but it, it, but I, I didn't like the feeling of of this brilliant dogged man feeling that he had been as it were, ousted, because he certainly wasn't ousted in our hearts. No, no. And as I say, I have heard his name from time to time over the years here at home. It's just not a commonplace name. Um, I guess one sort of thing that also occurs to me, and not particularly talking about Tug, but thinking about the encyclopedia again, is one of the discussions which seems to, to dominate the airwaves that I, you know, where, where I am at least, has to do with gatekeeping and gatekeepers and how they define the vision of the field. That's got to be something that's really concerning for you when you're structuring the encyclopedia, that it's, that it's not distorting, that it's not a distorting mirror, if you like, that it's reflecting the, the, the entirety of the field. How do you manage to prevent that happening? Well, obviously, the miroir, say moi, um, I've been doing it for so long, I find it sometimes difficult to distinguish how I understand the field from what the field actually is. Um, but one of the things that's necessary, I think, maybe more even in theme entries than in author entries, because, um, well, one thing, author entries are very difficult to write now, not the text part, but the checklist. Mm. They take a long time to do. Once they're done, they, they, they can be revised like grease, but um, once, before they have been completed, they are, they are onerous tasks. Um, what I think we need in particular, which is part of the reason I was... Um, um, as it were, corralling you, Gary, at um, ReaderCon, um, we need theme entries written by as many different people as possible. Mm. And that is in itself um, um, an, an expansion of the remit of the, of the encyclopedia because nobody understands a theme exactly the same. Mm. And so I, I was very happy when I was going back over um, some... Some themes that relate to the 20th century and not to the 21st, which is a controversial thing to say, Gary, um, but I think is probably the case. Themes like fabulation, metafiction, mainstream writers of SF, um, I think there was another, at least one other term in there. These are terms which are, are, are part of our honored history in terms of our relationship to the rest of the world and the rest of the world's relationship to us. I don't think I would now call any writer... Um, say, 20 or 30 years younger than I am in terms of career and, and years, um, a mainstream writer of science fiction any longer. Because that is a term which represents a different relationship between the mainstream as it existed and SF. I apply it to Margaret Atwood, but I don't apply it to, say, 
Vladimir Sorokin, if any of you, either of you, has read S-O-R-O-K-I-N, or any of the other 21st century writers who are, are, um, as I said earlier, making science fiction into part of a very, very complex and tossing mm. main. I use the term, a bad word, which I will be gladly um, persuaded by anybody to ask David Langford to change globally to something else. The term is equipoise, which I use as a verb rather than uh -huh. as just simple passive balance. Equipoise is what a shark does, is, or it sinks, or a dancer does, or an actor does. It's 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 a movement among all of the um, orts and shards and new manifestations of of different ways of uttering the fantastic in 2011. A term which would have not really been of much use in 1993, and certainly didn't didn't exist then. It's a useful term, but did I hear you just compare science fiction to a sinking shark? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> All right. And as I, think, uh, no, I think novelizations can be described as sharks that don't know that they are sinking. <laughs> that they're sunk, in fact, yes. You, you know the five-finger exploding palm method that we find in Kill Bill 2? Oh, yes, right. <laughs> yes. Right? You know, it's a, it's a gesture in martial arts where you touch the person... And that person dies after, without knowing that it has been killed after five full steps. <laughs> I think perhaps that model could be applied to um, science fiction, genre science fiction, triumphalist American genre science fiction as a whole after Sputnik. We just don't know how what constitutes a step. We need only step three or four, but maybe it's five. Maybe this year we'll see five. <laughs> well, Onward to the start. <clears throat> when you mention mainstream authors, Seth, and one of the things I've <clears throat> I've argued for years is that mainstream is a term which seems to be much more widely used in SF than it is in the mainstream. I don't know of any mainstream writer who calls himself or herself a mainstream writer. Exactly. And, and that distinction, as a matter of fact, you mentioned Margaret Atwood, and one of the books I have in front of me now is Margaret Atwood's book of essays about science fiction. I have it in front oh. of me too, Gary. <laughs> ah. And I cannot I've wait to read begun, it. I've not actually begun to read it. It it looks like it may be um, full of crap, as to <laughs> previously uttered, but maybe some of the more recent stuff actually looks a lot more as we're civilized to me, so I'm, I'm anxious to see it. Well, it's, <clears throat> it strikes me that from just the introduction which I've read that she, and, and her dedication, she de dedicates the book to Ursula Le Guin. And then... Yeah. Uh, she apparently got her feelings hurt by uh, by Le Guin essentially calling her on her earlier interviews in which she said she didn't write science fiction. Damn um, yeah, right she called her on them. And she did it very powerfully as well. So this will be an interesting dialogue to watch emerge. She called it fundamental discrepancy. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a very gently put stiletto or a five-finger exploding palm. <laughs> exactly. That's so I assume both of you gentlemen will be reviewing this book then. This is true. I'm going to be reviewing it for um, Rob Latham's new journal, whose name I don't remember because it's only mentioned in passing by him in an email um, in October. So I don't know where you're... Oh, Gary, I'm, I know where you're reviewing it. <laughs> well, I, I expect that's pretty easy. I don't know when I'll do it, but uh, it's, it's fascinating me. This is not the first time... Well, actually, <clears throat> maybe this is an interesting question. Is this the first time since <clears throat> Kingsley Amos that a mainstream writer has written a book of essays about science fiction. Wow. Screw me if I can think of one at the moment. Um, I, think, I think it may be the case. Yeah, well, I think it probably... It may well be the case, but it may well not be the case. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's kind of moot. I think one has to spend um, perhaps not the kind of quality time we're spending now on this um, vastly um, sophisticated network. Um, going back and forth and coming up with something, or maybe not. I think, I think maybe there's nothing. I, I think, think well, there were written, any other writers who've written books about science fiction or collected essays about science fiction are science fiction writers or were originally, like Chip Delaney was originally a science fiction writer. Well, right. Yeah. And this book's coming out, what, later this year? Um... Book is due on sale October. Okay. 
anything best. And I don't know right. about Canada. You maybe will get an advanced copy from Canada. She often releases the book from Canada first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds it's like something. Yeah. It's published by Doubleday, which I dare say is not likely to publish a book of essays on science fiction by any science fiction writer we can name. I thought you were going to say by choice. Um, but <laughs> on, on that, maybe on that note, though, we, we might begin to draw this to a close because, Gary, we are re reaching towards our. Our, our, our the end of our remit for one of these these podcasts. Um, is there anything else we need to cover? Do you think? Well, I think we need to find to get some sense of when John the actual online encyclopedia will be available to the public. Thirtieth September two thousand eleven. Okay, that's something we can all look forward to. Thirtieth November two thousand and twelve for what we are calling the complete version which will be impossible to distinguish from an incomplete version as it's constantly changing. Okay. Okay. Well, we should look forward to it. I, I certainly am for all sorts of reasons. So thank you, John, very much for joining us on the podcast. Um, this was neat. Very grateful for you coming. And Gary, I guess I will talk to you as per normal on the weekend. We'll do a normal podcast and uh, be back to our usual incoherent selves. <laughs> On that happy note, thank you both. Happy note, happy note. Bye.